and welcome back to Advising 101 Podcast, where I am the great James Cavins, and we have that lonely professor, Mr. Alexander Scott. <laughs> the lonely professor? No, Alexander Scott. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, my friend? I'm very good. How about you? How's school going, man? It's going great. I'm so excited. We got a great episode today. Uh, man, we're going to be talking about I cannot believe it. We're in episode nine, almost episode 10. Can you believe it? Almost 10 episodes. We're going to need to celebrate. Oh, yes. Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about navigating the college student life and just talking about, you know, how are some things that we can do as advisors and professors to help students as they learn to balance and juggle with family, work, class load, financial difficulties, and and just really helping, um, you know, advise students from the moment when when they enroll into school and, and actually going into finishing the semester strong and preparing for the next semester. They have a lot on their plate. And so, you know, we have to be there for them and have to support them. So I'm really excited about this topic. Oh, yes, because uh, I think you and I were pretty much like that because as a oh, students, yeah. we all went through that. Oh, yeah. And I mean, when you think about students from the different perspectives of a community college, as well as when we're looking and we're thinking about a four year institution, they're vastly different. And I know we mentioned this one time before in our ep- in our previous uh, episodes, just talking about, you know, the challenges, uh, episode one, for instance, where we talked about our challenges of school and what we liked and what we didn't like and our success stories and even our failures and how we overcame them and how being real with our students really helped them. So this episode, I'm very excited to be a part of. I'm so happy to have this conversation. Uh, so when we talk about students, you know, one of the things we mentioned in a previous episode was helping students, how can we learn about our students, you know, beforehand, you know, having pictures, emailing them, texting them and saying, hey, you know, three months out, have you uh, done these things and create like a little checklist and, you know, hey, two months out, have you created this checklist and one month out, we're almost here, we're excited to see you. And then bam, here they come. And so, you know, one of the things I would say when we're talking about students and helping them navigate really the college student life is connection. I don't know, you know, this is something that we have not, uh, you know, navigated or even talked about before is LLC or themed housing community. Uh, LLC, for those who may not be familiar with, uh, I feel like it's almost an everyday term now, but living learning communities. And it's really popular in four-year institutions or themed housing communities where you take students who have similar interests and you group them together as a family and they live in the same uh, typically, they live in the same dorm, uh, and they have a series of activities together. They uh, also will talk about, you know, just pretty much their experiences, and they take a class together. And, and it's a lot of fun because they're around the individuals all the time, and it's really good. And so I, I really enjoy LLCs and themed housing. I know when it comes to community college, it's a little bit challenging to have a themed housing uh, because they don't typically students don't stay on campus. However, there are such things as living learning uh, or a living community or, or themed communities. Uh, for instance, when I was at a Southwestern uh, Virginia uh, school, uh, there was this wonderful program called the CCAP program, also known as the Community College Access Program. And it was these group of students that were part of this special cohort that received money to go to school for free. And so even in the community college setting, you can have something very special such as a cohort that really ties the students together. And this particular cohort, Professor Scott, mm-hmm. actually had their introduction to university life or Univ 100 or SDV as many institutions call it, 
they had this class together. And me as their advisor, I was also their instructor. And we did a lot of things together. And that really helped uh, ease some of the students to be in a familiar zone where they didn't have to be in a classroom where there are upperclassmen uh, or other first year students like them, but you know they didn't know them, they came from different areas. It was really helpful. So you know, enough of my, my gibby gab of talking. Um, but okay, let me ask you a question because I'm very curious. You say that they were, uh, they were like a cohort, right? And it's easy cap. But do, does that mean that they take pretty much all the classes together all the time? Or how, does, how do they develop like that kind of relationship? Uh, because when someone uh, listening to our podcast might think cohort, like when you are in college or when you are in a master's degree program, you know, that you continue all your classes together until you finish the program. But I imagine with this one, everybody's going to go different path, right? Great question. So this was a very unique cohort. Um, so the core in this sense was students who lived in the city of uh, Roanoke, for instance, uh, city of Roanoke, Virginia. And they all graduated either from uh, Patrick Henry or William Fleming. And so they uh, qualify for this program to allow them to go to school for free for three years. And so they took one class together that was taught by myself. But what we did was because we were really trying to focus on how could we improve retention. So when I first established myself at uh, the Southwestern Community College, we uh, focused on how can we improve retention in this particular program. And one of the things I looked at was how can we engage students before they arrive and help them as they're settling in in that first you know, semester and then give them that confidence and that support that they need to thrive as they complete the semester and head into the second semester. And so what I worked on was I had, several, I had a list of students who were in the program previously, and I had them to develop some programs or some th best practices and strategies that they wish they had known coming into the program. So it taught students in this particular cohort leadership quality to help them develop a plan, and it helped them be, serve as a mentor and support to other students. So they felt they were giving back to uh, the new incoming students. As we moved on into the semester, so as students uh, were able to come into the, into the summer activity, have a lot of fun, they were able to engage with students that they already knew. So when the semester started, they felt a little bit at ease because when they were walking across campus, there were some students that were second year students uh, that they knew already. And they felt comfortable saying, hey, you know, I'm lost. How do I get to this building? And the student was able to share with them, oh, the building's right over there because they had a relationship. And it was that relationship that helped them uh, get started. And by them having their introduction to university one-on-one uh, -on -one or college survival skills, they were able to meet with me on their first day and we were able to have a conversation. How's it going so far? Have you looked at your books? You know, what are your thoughts about professors? What experiences have you had that has been different already? And what we, I did was we actually had, uh, you know, what they will call high impact practices. That's another very key catchy term that everybody uses these oh, days wow. <laughs> is high impact practices. So we actually, uh, I created several high impact practices that occurred after uh, class time. So after, uh, typically after school ended roughly around six o'clock, um, I worked with the mayor of the city to invite the students to his office to get to see his office and then get to meet the city council members. And they were also uh, airing their council meeting on TV. So their parents were able to tune in, their family members were able to tune in and they received a certificate and they were honored, honored and they were recognized uh, during the council meeting. And so it was those type of activities that made students feel special 
because the city was, of course, funding this program, but the students felt special because many of the students had never even met a city council member, much less the mayor. And now Ooh. here they are dressed up on TV, receiving an award, a once in a lifetime opportunity. And so it made them feel special to be a part of this cohort. So it gave them value. And so, you know, as we're talking about navigating the student college life and helping students on board, it's about giving that sense of value, giving that sense okay. of, of, of that there are people, there are stakeholders who believe in them, who are really taking, taking uh, an active role in their success. And so for them to see that meant a lot to the students. And so that was one particular activity. So like, you know, another activity uh, was working with uh, the TRIO program for individuals who may not be familiar with TRIO. That is a, a Department of Education program also known as Student Support Success Services. And they receive funding from the federal government to help and support students who may be disabled or have some uh, challenges uh, or help students who are first gen as well as minority students. And so it was a great program. And so they had some funding and they had some programs that intertwined with what we were trying to do as a program. So what we did was we actually had a special trip where we engaged those students in the uh, CCAP program took them to um, Hampton Roads, the 757, and they had a chance to visit a HBCU, and they also had a chance to visit a predominantly white institution, also known as a PWI. And they had a chance to experience both schools. And the interesting part is that even though both schools or those schools were roughly five hours away, many of the students haven't even traveled that far in their lifetime. And so oh, again- yes. <laughs> I can't so, believe you that. Yeah, I yeah. know that. <laughs> so it was a wonderful experience for them to go on a college campus to experience it. And so having unique opportunities for these, uh, for this cohort was great for their success and great for their ability to say, you know what, I like this. This is what I want to do. I can see myself on this campus. And so, again, when, when it comes to navigating that college student life, it's those experiences, those high impact practices that help students to really feel like, you know what, I want to go there, or I want to do that. And, and it's those connection pieces. So would I think that's important. We have to establish that at the beginning. Oh, would you define those students as first generation students or traditionals? Yeah, so. Or, uh, the, because they, they were coming from high school, right? Most of them? Yeah, so first generation student, of course, uh, for our listeners. Now, honestly, I will say, it has multiple meanings based on the institution. So from a Virginia okay. Western, from a, uh, let's say for instance, a community college standpoint in Virginia, they viewed a first generation student where neither parent um, went to college. Um, they could have, mm -hmm. they could have uh, say for instance, um, tried to earn their community college degree, didn't get it, um, but they would still be first generation students. So even though they went to community college, they did not earn their degree. Um, and that's whether it's the mother or the father. And a four-year institution, a first-generation student, is someone whose parent who has not completed um, a college degree. Um, so, you know, they're the first in their family to go to go to school, being their, on their mother or being their father, they're the first. And typically a first-generation uh, college student, as it is typically indicated, is that some of the terms that we use and the lingo that we use is unfamiliar to them as well as their parents. So filling out a FAFSA form, or understanding what a FERPA is, or who the heck is a registrar? What is, <laughs> yeah. is a registrar? Like yes. those are terms yeah. that they're unfamiliar with and they yes. don't know what questions to ask. 
And so yeah. that's why it's, it's, it's really incumbent upon us as advisors, as professors, to really, when we're talking to students, and especially if we don't necessarily know if they're a first generation student or not, is to go through the lens of you're a first generation student, let me help you. Let me break it down and explain it to you. A FAFSA is what you need to fill out in order to receive financial aid. It, yeah. is, it opens up on October 1st, you're able to apply. The earlier you apply, the better. And it's important for us during you know, new student orientation, during our introduction to university life, to really have kind of like a dictionary that we can kind of help students really go to and look up and refer to. Um, even having a series of short 30 second videos explaining it, um, that's easy for our students to go to and look up. That helps navigate our students' college life, is be, yeah. having a resource to help them be successful. Because they yes, may not always come to us with the questions. Yes, because I didn't even know. I'm a first-generation student, so uh, I was the first one to graduate. My parents didn't graduate from, mm -hmm. from college. So if you, if you tell me, hey, if you ask me the questions, are you a first-generation student? <laughs> I would say, I don't know. I have no idea. Sometimes we, we use some lingo in academia that when you first come to college, you don't understand. Yeah. And it makes it really, really difficult for those students that are called first generation. Yeah, and it's really confusing sometimes because uh, just recently we've experienced, you know, National First Generation Day. Uh, I, I'm not mistaken, I believe it was November 9th this year. And oh, wow. Yeah, and, and most, uh, you know, individuals, you know, they see the table first gen, first gen, or they see shirts, I'm a first gen, but they don't, they're just like you, yes. they're confused. They're like, is yes. that me? I'm not sure. Is that good or bad? Because you don't even know if that is good or bad. <laughs> Honestly, it could be a good thing and it could be a bad thing. Um, you know, especially yeah. oh, if you're a wow. first-generation student and you feel alone and you feel isolated and no one knows your story, knows your plight. And, you know, you talk to a professor who, who really doesn't know that you're a first-generation student and they see you as a traditional student. Sometimes, you know, how an interaction can take place can be different if you're if you're a traditional student versus a first generation student because there's certain needs that you need as a traditional student that you don't need as a first gen and, and vice versa. But what will be a traditional student uh, according to you? A traditional student, well, not necessarily according to me personally. <laughs> I appreciate that authority. But a traditional <laughs> student is someone whose mother or father uh, who has went to college. Um, and I would even now for me, I would take it a step further and that even if their aunt or uncle went to college or they had a cousin who went to college, because that means uh, they've had some experience um, okay. as far as, um, you know, a family member going to college. They are somewhat familiar with the lingo. Also, a traditional student is someone who went straight from high school and went straight to college. Um, there was no gap in between. Um, that is a traditional student, uh, you know, versus an adult learner who, you know, from high school, they may have tried college, then went to work, um, or they may not have tried college at all and went straight to work and then decided to go back to college or start college for the first time at, later in their years. Uh, this is something that uh, our um, listeners going to uh, ask, like, what is going on with Professor Scott that he's asking <laughs> all so many questions? I know, right? Like but, <laughs> but I got a question. Can you be a first generation student at the same time being traditional? No. Uh, no. Okay. No. Okay. Um, well, I actually, I take it back. I take it back. You can be in, in, in an essence, you can be that traditional student that has gone from high school to college for the first time, uh -huh. uh, but you're still, you, you would still be a first generation student. So first you, generation could essentially be, about, yeah. you can embody both. Yes. 
Okay, because your parents. But a traditional so, student. Yeah. But but a traditional student who's had a had a um, parent go to college cannot be a first generation student. Okay. Okay. So I'm definitely a first generation. So I can tell that. Yes, I I, I can tell that too. <laughs> but yeah. So again, it's just those wonderful things of you know when you're when you're looking at students and as they're coming on campus, getting them in a cohort, getting them to feel like a part of a family. And getting that family environment. So that's why living learning communities and theme housing communities are very, very, very critical to many college students. So even not even just first year students, but even transfer students, uh, many colleges and institutions now are actually implementing transfer uh, living learning communities where because a lot of times some of the transfer students, they're coming on the campus and because they've already experienced a little bit of college, you know, at least two first two years or two, one or two years in college or community college, they've earned their associate degrees. They're coming in as a sophomore or a junior, but they haven't built those relationships with students who have already been on the college campus. And so while they may be a, you know, they're not a first year student, so they don't need all the hand holding and all the definitions of what a registrar is and stuff like that. They know that, but they're kind of in, in between. It's like jumping rope. They, 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 yeah. You know, I don't know if you ever done double dutch, but <laughs> back in my day when I was a little younger, I tried double dutch. And please believe coordinating and timing of when do I jump in and you know, is this for me or is this not for me? And, and, and that, that's kind of how a transfer student feels. And so having those special connections for those students as they're navigating college is important. Just like I mentioned, you know, earlier about the adult learner, where the adult learner, they also need their special cohort to help them, you know, feel comfortable about going back to college and not necessarily feeling, you know, out of place, especially if they're taking some classes with first year students or traditional students where, you know, I've heard uh, many times adult learners say, man, I hate being in class with these young people. They, yes. they don't want to learn. I, come, I came back to college to get my education and all these young folks want to do is just talk all day or be on their cell phones. They don't take it as seriously. And so helping them understand, you know, remember, <laughs> we were one college students too, or we were young yeah. learners too. And, you know, we didn't, we didn't understand what we have. You have that wonderful experience of understanding the value of it at this point. So working with those adult learners to help them say, hey, this is how you can use your experiences to help them. Yeah, but they have one thing in common. The, the, the three groups that you uh, already talked about, the traditional adult learner and first generation. And don't forget the is, transfer students, Steve. Uh, and the transfer, yes, and the transfer too. I, I, well, I'm sorry, I forgot about those two. They're going to they're gonna beat you up. Oh, they would. <laughs> so, But one thing that they have in common is problem with time management yeah. how do you help those students when you were talking about the traditional students complaining about those young students in the classroom uh, i mean traditional no the, adult, the adult learner, learner. I, I mean yeah adult learner and it's the problem is time management the concept of time is different from one generation to the next you're right and that's where it really comes to helping with work-life balance and yes. you know, one of the things that, you know, I think I, I might actually post to our social media, I have this really cool time management sheet. It has a whole bunch of uh, squares going all around this sheet of paper uh, and the landscape. And it has each hour on the hour. And in the middle, it has the activities I plan on getting today and my goals of what I uh, accomplish. So therefore, the individual can focus on this. These are the highlights of what I need to do. But this is what I accomplish. So individuals are able to reflect. And each hour on the hour, you have to put in there what you plan on doing that hour. What is your routine? And I think it's things like that that really see how much time you have. 
because most college students, whether it's adult learners, traditional, first gen, what have you, they don't realize that they have 168 hours every week. Yes. And yes. that's a lot of time. And you don't don't kill me. Don't kill me, professor. But I, I, <laughs> yeah, I, let, let me see. Let me see. What are you going to come up with? Now, I tell students they should study. And this 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 is based on on, on evidence that the college student, if they're studying, if they're taking like a 15 credits uh, a semester and typically you want a student to take 15 credits each semester so they can graduate on time because, you know, 15 each semester equals 30. 30 times four is 120. And in order to graduate, you have to have 120 credits in a typical program. So I tell my students, you should be studying at least 25 hours a week. Yes. And, when, 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 and you know how I started off is, and I tell them, I say, hey, you need to study 25 hours. Could you study 25 hours in a day? And they're like, some students are like, yeah, I can, st I can study 25 hours a day. Oh yeah, if I had all my, my, my food and my snacks and my stuff, if I, if I did it, if I put my mind to it, I can do it. And I'm like, uh, um, you know, there's only 24 hours in a day, right? <laughs> oh man, you got me. And so then I tell them, so that means we have to do what? We have to break it up. And so, you know, really when it comes to time management, as you mentioned, it really comes down to managing what's important to you. You know, if the college is really important to you and that's going to be your number one focal point, then great. Then let's figure out how we can incorporate 25 hours. Because when you add 25 hours plus 15 credits, that equals out to 40. 40 means that it's a full-time job. And that's what college is. Correct, correct, yes. And so, you know, when I talk about breaking up, I don't mean study five hours straight, you know, or 25 hours straight because you can't do it. That means you got to break it up. So I tell them, hey, break it up. Do five hours a day. Any five days uh, you want to do it, do it. Take two days off, relax, chill, do whatever you want to do. Go crazy. But I also help my students when they're going through those little boxes to also do two hours in the morning, one hour in the afternoon, two hours in the evening. That way you're not doing, because, you know, it boggles my mind, Professor Scott. And I know I've been talking a lot, but it really boggles <laughs> my mind. I, I'm really passionate about this because. I can tell, I can tell. 12, Go ahead. I am, man. Because in K through 12, we work so hard teaching our, our students to sit at a coffee table or sit at a kitchen table or sit at their desk in their room and to study from the beginning of the chapter to the end of the chapter. And they have to sit there until they get all their work done. There's no such thing as breaks. And we yes. teach them that. And that is the worst way to study. So yes. that's why it's like when, when they hit us in community college or four year, we have to reprogram their minds to basically say, hey, look, do two hours in the morning, one hour in the afternoon, two hours in the evening. But guess what? Break it up even further. Do one class for 30 minutes, take a five minute break. Do another class for 30 minutes, take a five minute break. Another class for 30 minutes, take a five minute break. Another class for 30, you're done. And in teaching our students that by breaking it up into 30 minute chunks, you actually retain more information. And so again, you know, I, I know I'm going off on a tangent, but again, th that comes with time management of seeing when they can study those two hours. If it means that they have to wake up at seven o'clock, you know, and, and stop studying at nine, then great. Uh, or if they, you know, they can wake up at 10 o'clock and do that and finish and study till noon, then great. Um, or if they have to do an hour in the morning and then do the two hours in the afternoon, wonderful. But that's where being able to see your time from a wide view lens, as opposed to only looking at it uh, on the surface helps. Uh, because I had a student one time who worked at Lowe's, going to school full time and said, I cannot study 25 hours. I can't How study many credits five did that hours. students have? Mm -hmm. How many credits? It was a full time 15 student? Credit. 15, 15 credits. credits. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so we went through and he was telling me he was going to bed at like midnight. 
And so he's like, man, by the time I eat, by the time I come home, I'm tired. So we looked through his schedule. And after going through hour by hour, we realized that he could wake up at eight o'clock in the morning and study because he was t- typically waking up at nine o'clock. So he, he agreed he could sacrifice and wake up an hour early and he could study 30 minutes, five minutes, eight, 30 minutes. He could give two hours in the morning. Then we looked at it. We, we noticed, wow, he can actually study in the afternoon for one hour, 30 minutes intervals. And then in the evening, we looked at while he's eating, he can actually study. And he studies for two hours. I think he ended up finishing at nine o'clock. So if he wanted to, he could go to bed at nine o'clock. So he could go to bed earlier. And he could also have time to watch TV, do whatever it is he wanted to do, uh, because he liked watching Netflix. So he had plenty of time <laughs> to do that up until 11 o'clock. And he could go to bed at 11 o'clock, wake up at eight o'clock and do it all over again. So it was just sitting down and going with the student hour by hour, showing him how they use their time. And so, you know, in addition to, like I said, having the cohorts of helping our students be successful and live in learning communities, which provides activities that you need to keep them engaged and build relationships and get them connected with individuals on campus to help them as they transition. Um, helping, like you asked yourself, uh, actually working and focusing on time management. That helps. Um, yes, but what, you are what, talking about every wired of the brain. Like, for example, you are talking about a lot of discipline. Yeah. You gotta be very, very self-disciplined. But you uh, don't have to be. And yes, I tell my you might, you might consider, hey, you know what? I still have five more hours. <laughs> yeah, you know, I can spend it talking to my friends and I get back to study later on. Right. Uh, how, how could you avoid that, doing that? Or l- let's put it, let's put it this way. You are a parent and you have two small kids. They don't, they don't mind about interrupting you while you're studying because they need to have their needs satisfied. So how can you manage that? Well, it's easy. I, I, I've had that before. And I tell my students, that, and, you know, I, 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 I will say I've taken some hits for this. I tell my <laughs> students, look, you're going to fail at time management. It's inevitable. It's going to oh, happen. Y- yes, you're right. Yeah. You are going to have those moments where you're going to follow this and it's going to work perfectly. And then you're going to have those moments where you ain't do 30 minutes that whole entire day. And it's okay. Correct. So yeah. I let them know it's okay. I, you know, and I, I hate to say this, this, this might be the worst part of what I say in this podcast. But <laughs> one of the things I learned is actually from Alcoholic Anonymous course. Uh, I did some research. Uh, when I was at Norfolk State University. And I was like, how can I help students change bad habits? How can I help students change bad habits? Yeah. And I actually looked at a Alcoholic Anonymous course. And one yeah. of the things that it talks about in terms of the steps is admitting that you will have some setbacks. You know, just be yeah. honest. Correct. You will have setbacks and it's okay. And so I, <laughs> I've actually incorporated <laughs> that into my advising of students and let them know it's okay. The question is, what do we do when, when we fall off? How do we recover? Do we stay there? Yeah. Do we say it's not gonna it's not gonna work? I knew it wasn't gonna work. Or do we say, you know what? I was anticipating this and it's okay. Now, how do I recover from this? And so those are the things that we do. And so, you know, one of the things that you mentioned when you have friends come, hey, like I tell them, put it on your cell phone, put your daily planner on your cell phone. So that way it beep, 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 let you know what's going on. So that way, okay, I, I have to study or I have time for friends. Or friends come by and say, hey, hey man, let's hang out, let's go to the movies. All right, just be on your phone, look at your calendar and see if you got time for it. If you have some time to, to move, maneuver your uh, calendar, then the great part about cell phones today and touch technology, you can hold and tap that two hour study 
down to your free time and move the free time up. So therefore you can hang out with your friends. You just reprioritize. And so that's helpful. Yes, but one of the problems that I have when I have when I have to advise my students, and that's when I have to count on you, advisors. You know, <laughs> I don't know why, but because we are self-sufficient. But, <laughs> but no, but because you guys have a very good insight about students' mindset and you know how to work with their uh, the classes that they're going to take. And uh, sometimes the students come up and they say, I have 17 credits that I'm going to take this semester and they have a full-time jobs and sometimes a part-time jobs at the same time. And, and you want to tell the students, you cannot take so many credits be because they want to finish on time, yeah. but it will be a lot. Will time management help in that situation? In some I mean, situations, it may. In some situations, if they have a full-time job plus a part-time job, that's when we have to have that real conversation of understanding what their high school uh, you know, academics were like. Uh, if they pretty much maintain a high level of, of uh, workload or ethics in terms of being involved in sports as well as uh, you know, social programs in high school, plus working part-time, plus you know, taking classes and they were successful, then you know, we, we have, there's a point that we might have to trust that student um, to be able to continue that same habit that we know they've uh, created this model of success. Uh, also looking at the students, um, again, you know, sharing with them what it's gonna take, working with faculty, taking a look at those syllabi. You know, I really appreciate faculty who have a syllabi that is jam-packed with wonderful information to really help our students understand what they're gonna be going over each week, what their expectations are each week, when tests are coming up. And so, you know, sitting back and having those conversations with the students saying, hey, this professor has clearly laid out and mapped out for you what the expectations are and, you know, what's going to be needed. And this is a step up from high school or, hey, you know, you're coming, you're working and you're flying in trying to get to the class on time. You know, is this going to be doable for you? You know, this this class requires this number of hours of study. Um, there's a particular professor at your co uh, community college that has a wonderful outline of, of a circular graph that I think is amazing of how much time you need outside the classroom and into the classroom to really get a C, to get a B, and to get an A. And so it allows students to be able to kind of make that determination of, you know what, I want to get a B and this is what I have to do. Okay, I'm committed to. And I love that because right off the bat, you're telling the student, if you do these things, you can achieve this. And so yeah. you're setting the expectations. So I love uh, some of the professors at your institution where they actually do that. So, and I know you're not one of them, you know, you just, put, well, you, you yeah, just let me, no, you, let you're me here to learn and I'll tell you <laughs> as we go. Let me tell you, one of the sections that I have in my class, in my syllabus is that I add, uh, how can I get an A in this class? Oh, I guess that's I was the, talking about that, you then. <laughs> yeah, that's the heading of that one. And I'd explain, it's very important to explain how many, Time, uh, how much time they are expected to spend in order to get some desired grades. Because sometimes they spend only two hours and they expect to get an A right. on something that so, they again, need 10 hours. That, see, that's what I'm saying. I love professors like you because you make my job easy. We go hand in hand. You have the wonderful syllabus and I'm able to help them understand it. Man, that, that's why I love the fact that we have this podcast because we, uh, yeah. we can really break down the, uh, many of those silos where a lot of times it's we think it's each of us versus each other to help the student. 
but it's us bringing our wonderful ideas together to really help the student be successful. And that's really what it comes down to. You know, a lot of times I know, you know, in many instances, there's this feel of faculty is always getting involved in everything, always trying to take over this. And that's why, again, I love this podcast because you're a professor and, you know, you know that we, we're, we as advisors are great and I appreciate that. <laughs> and, and, and I know you as, an, as, as a professor, uh, you, you're great as well. And I've learned a lot from you. You know, I don't want to get all mushy before our episode 10, but I'm just saying <laughs> I've learned a lot from you. Well, one thing that I will tell you, the best way for me to help students to navigate a student's life, it, it has been working along with advisors. And that's why I feel so encouraged to, to continue doing this podcast because that yeah. once we are together, students have a very experience at college. Exactly. And that is that moment that as we're helping students navigate their college life, the more connected we are as advisors and faculty, especially when you all see that some students are having some challenges and you raise those early alerts, those flags, then it helps us be able to reach out to the student and say, hey, I, I, we're noticing that there's some challenges going on in Professor Scott's class. What's going on? Let's talk. And since we don't have that grade hanging over their head like you do, sometimes they're easily able to talk to us and tell us all that's going on. And then we're able to help that student be able to have that same conversation with you all. Because it, it boggles my mind sometimes that some of these college students are afraid to talk to y'all. Like, oh, yes, yes. You know, and some me. of these students, they, 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 are, they are very big and built and, and you know, they, they, they're six foot tall, six foot three, and they, they're 250 pounds and just chiseled. And they're scared to talk to you all, you know, professors yes. like yourself that are 63 and, you know, barely have uh, two strings of hair on top of your head and they're scared to talk to you. And, and I'm like, why? Like y'all, really professors don't know it, but y'all are gangsters. Y'all are thugs. Y'all are thugs. <laughs> you, all, you all have some street credibility with students that make them just quiver in their boots. <laughs> I'm we just we, we just project authority and that's why you know <laughs> yeah and, and so, it, so it's so cool to really have these conversations with students and really break down that uh that barrier that wall that you know you all are so mean and you all don't understand them and that you all have got this wonderful degree and y'all are too educated to even talk to them so it's really good to let them know that y'all are real people and so you know I, I find that really enjoyable another thing I want to also mention as we're helping students navigate the college life uh, really, as you talked about with the work and family, I think something else that we really should do as, as community college or a four-year institution is really uh, create a calendar that students actually can subscribe to that will automatically put dates that are of importance, such as withdrawal deadlines, such as, you know, add a drop period, uh, registering for the spring semester, the FAFSA form, creating a calendar that students can automatically subscribe to so all the dates load onto their calendar. So it automatically pings them on certain days and certain times. Because a lot of times students don't really remember certain dates like a withdrawal date, or they'll, they'll get an email and they'll delete it, or it goes into the junk folder and they don't read it. And they really needed to withdraw from a class to really save their GPA. And so I think colleges really should start creating subscription calendars that students can really just go into their phone, add that calendar onto their phone, and never have to look back. It's really helpful. It's really impactful to a student's uh, success. Yes, indeed. In fact, one of the things that I do in my syllabus is I add those uh, important dates and I put in the syllabus like important dates for them to remember. Yeah, but you can take it a step further where students can subscribe to your calendar and, it, and when they subscribe, those dates automatically load on. 
and they don't even have to look back at that syllabi. They don't even have to worry about trying to remember that date or anything. It automatically loads and reminds them. You can set up where it reminds them a week in advance. And you can create these calendars through like Google and, and things of that nature, uh, Outlook. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. And that helped them a lot to navigate students' lives. Yeah. That helped yeah. them a lot. Because we always talk about how students don't read, check their emails. They're not responding to texts. And, you know, they're missing out on important dates. But this, and, and the great part is that if we get students to do this when during orientation or when they're first arriving, they already have it in there. We don't have to, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to subscribe to it the moment that they arrive because they're new. They think, oh, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. And they do it. And they oh, yeah. have to start learning it. And, and yeah. you get it ingrained into them early. I, I think, I think that's a beautiful uh, uh, technique that, that I like to use for my students. I, but from a college perspective, we need to incorporate that more uh, on a, on a uh, whole university scale. Yes. Do you have experience with a two-year college and a four-year college, but mm -hmm. and and you know that sometimes students don't understand that they have a lot of academic support. Yeah. Do do you encourage your students to look for academic support when they're struggling? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I, even before they're struggling, um, you know, one of the things I try to do is, um, especially during the beginning of the semester, uh, I will actually walk my students over to those different areas. And, get, and allow them to meet the director or the assistant director of that area so they know that they're, they're really cool, that they're, they're human, uh, that they're funny and they're fun and they're engaging. And so, you know, again, breaking down those stereotypes, breaking down those barriers. Um, so I really definitely try to do that at the beginning of the semester. I also try to, uh, you know, at many times, especially many institutions, they always have the wonderful scavenger hunt <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, where they have yes. to go to different areas and get a paper sign and stuff like that. Uh, one of the things I found that was very impactful, especially um, at this community college, was during Halloween, we had this resource, we had this Rapids of Revenge resource scavenger hunt. And all the different departments were able to decorate their center, like the library, decorated their area in a Halloween festive theme. Um, so they had like Harry Potter, um, or, you know, they went, we had where they had to go to their dean. Uh, office and so they decorated theirs as as a scary farm and you know another uh, like uh, tutoring center they uh, had vampires and so what happened was students uh, were able to participate they had to go to different areas matter of fact you could set up with like a snapchat where you could have like uh, different things behind them uh, that they had to take pictures with geofencing um, and they go to different areas they take pictures and you give a reward so like the first 10 to go to all these different spots, we receive an award uh, or some prize. And so it was really impactful because it was, you know, around October, it was right a little bit before, you know, the great, wonderful end of the semester, but early enough to where students could still have some change in their success. And they got to see different departments just in an informal setting and being relaxed. And that really was helpful to students because they were like, wow, I didn't know the library could be so much fun. Like, wow, they had wizard sticks and and oh my gosh, I didn't know like the writing center was really cool. Like, oh my gosh, they had all these writing cobwebs and with, with you know, messages on there. And I didn't know that, like, again, helping our students to see what is normally typical, I need help or I'm struggling or I'm not smart as a fun way of engagement. At this four-year institution I'm, I'm a part of now, we're going to have bike rides with uh, different departments. So like with the College of Business, we're going to go on a bike trail. And we're going to, and you know, as everybody's riding their individual bike, you know, they'll stop along the way at different points. And 
the professor, will, the professors that are going to be representing their college is actually going to talk about business as they're riding bikes, as they're going down the river and talking about, hey, you know, these are my experiences. And, you know, when I was in business, this is what we did. And guess what? In our business, we have this offer. You know, we, we're working with $2 million uh, stock portfolio and this is how we're doing it. As opposed to always being lectured to, as opposed to uh, sitting in a classroom or having a Zoom meeting, but actually uh, getting the professors away from the desk and getting the students from having to sit in a lecture style uh, yes. Yes. And, and bringing them to a fun environment where they're riding bikes, having natural conversation. Or uh, another thing that we're going to do is we're, we're going to be playing pool. We're going to, we, at our four institution, we have pool tables and we have a bowling alley. And so we're going to have with one college uh, for uh, human development, we're going to have a bowling tournament. <laughs> so between, Whoa. yeah, so, so it's going to be a bowling tournament where the professors in, high, uh, in, in human development are going to be bowling against students who are interested about the different programs and majors. And so they're going to have a bowl off. And so, of course, there'll be a trophy given to the winner, but it's a, a, it helps bring rivalry. It helps show that the human development, the uh, college of education, and human development, they're real. Um, it shows that they're people, that they can have fun and they can be relaxed, but also talk about their programs. And, and, and it's those unique experiences that help our students be successful. Yes, you're right. One, uh, one of the things that I did when I was teaching student development class, as you said, in the library at the community college, I took them with me to those places. And it was so wonderful that I even uh, took them to the president's office. Yeah. So I think that sometimes uh, it's, very, it's very useful to take those students to those places when they can find the support that they need in order to be successful in college. Yeah, and I, I really, you know, another thing I think that's important to is midterm grades. You all, as far as professors, putting in midterm grades helps us as advisors so much because we're able to see exactly how they're doing. And even some of y'all, some of the professors who actually don't just put in midterm grades, they even break it down. This is how this uh, student grade is, is, is you know, it has uh, became or how it was developed. And, you know, being able to say, okay, you know, they, they got a 39 on their first test. They got 200s on their uh, second and third test. That helps us help students. So we can identify where, where those issues are and we can help them uh, overcome them. So midterm grades is really important as we're, again, helping the student to navigate. Um, also, encouraging our students at the end of the semester, you know, for students who may not have done as well academically, you know, they may have received a 1.2, you know, sending encouraging messages through uh, like an e-card through the email, I've, I've done that. And that has been so meaningful to students. Hey, you know what? You're almost there. You're doing great. Keep up the good work. Here are some resources to, uh, to check out next semester. I look forward to helping you uh, make those connections. You know, not, not focusing on you didn't do well. Hey, you're on academic probation. Hey, you gotta do better. No, not driving home that negative point, but hey, you did a great job. I mean, we know that 1.2 may not necessarily cut it, but hey, you did a great job because for us, for all we know, with all the challenges that they were going through, that might have been the best for them. And so since we may not necessarily know what each and every single student has gone through, being able to show that sense of encouragement is important for them to say, hey, you know what? We got your back. It, it may not have been the best, but for what you were going through, that was the best. And so here's how we're going to make it even better next semester. Um, a lot of times we spend a lot of focus, especially with you know, our students who excel academically, you know, the 3.5 and above achievers, but we don't really give the same support to the middle and we don't really give the same support 
other than being negative in terms of you're on academic probation, you're going to get kicked out to those at the bottom. And so I really think that helping our students, you know, persevere and persist, we have to show them positive messaging. Um, and I know a lot of times, you know, it can be uh, definitely frowned upon of everybody gets a participation trophy. But really, when we're thinking about retention uh, for our students, especially in a four-year institution, even in a community college, we really do have to really focus on, you know, the positives. It's just like us. If, if you know, our supervisors or our dean came to us and said, man, how come nobody's passing your classes? You're horrible. You're doing this wrong. Oh, my gosh. You need to give them more easy tests. You need to be more lenient. We would feel we, we would feel kind of down. Our morale would go down. I mean, we wouldn't produce yeah. as, as high level of work. You know, we don't want to be beat up all the time. We don't want to go to a job where we're getting yelled at all the time. Everything we do is never good enough. And so we have to remember that and we have to remind ourselves of that as we're interacting with students who are trying their best and just for whatever reason, weren't able to get that 2.0 or that that 3.0. And so we have to remind ourselves and we have to continuously advocate for those students. Yes, you're right. I think the best way to help the students to navigate the college life is working as a team yeah. work, as a yeah. team. Mm -hmm. Advisor, professor, and the whole institution all together. And I think by doing so, you will have a very good successful students. Yeah, and, and you know, there's, there's many other things as we talk about this, because I know we have in our upcoming episodes some other challenges, but you know, how do we help students, especially navigating through this, the semester, navigating through the year, of those students who, you know, maybe, um, you know, homeless or don't have a good place to go home to for the winter break. How can we help those students all the summer? You know, what are some things that we can do to help those students? So I, I look forward to those future conversations. I know that we definitely extended our time today, um, but you know, there's so many more angles of this conversation that we have. And so I'm so glad to have our listeners and maybe that's a question that we'll pose into our social media. So please hit us up on our social media, Advising 101 Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram. We're going to pose some questions because, again, I think that those are some other areas that we need to talk about. And I know I have been running my mouth like crazy today. <laughs> and so <laughs> you're in so your zone. You. That's good. <laughs> but thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It, it's really it's really uh, meaningful to me. It's meaningful work. So with that being said, you know, we appreciate you all listening. Tune in to another episode. We look forward you to the next podcast uh, episode. So continue to tell your friends, family, other higher educators. Again, I'm going to hit it again. Hit us up on our socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Advising 101. We're going to have some great questions. And I will put in the uh, Facebook and all of our different socials that uh, chart that I talked about in our episode today of how to break up the times each hour by hour and having in the middle of the goals and then reflection. All right. And I'll try to put some other goodies out there for you to help you uh, see some of the things that I've done as an advisor and some things that Professor has, Scott has done with his syllabi and how uh, we can use those as a professor and advisors to really help uh, our students as they go and, and definitely forge on as first-generation students and traditional and adult learners and cannot forget our wonderful transfer students. Oh, yes. So, with that said, see you next time. Be safe. See you next time.